Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I'm Steve Jellicorse. I'm Brenda Jellicorse. And uh, she's my first wife and my only wife. Um, and so we've been doing a series on marriage and family, and it ha- has been wonderful, and our elders of the church have been the ones presenting it. Let's give them a great big hand. Uh, being married is a learning process, and years ago, Brenda and I, um, I won't bore you with the whole details, but we started getting people thinking somehow we knew how to help them with their marriage difficulties. And after the sixth couple filed for divorce, we decided we were really lousy at it. (laughs) And we said, you know, we need to get some training. Just because we know how to have a pretty decent marriage doesn't mean we know how to We're not even sure why we have a good marriage. And in fact, a lot of people don't, that's kind of like, I'm a hoping and a praying that my marriage will be okay. But I have no idea exactly what it takes to have a good marriage. And so one of our definitions that God began to show us was marriage is God's process to grow you up into the person he intends you to become through the benefit of a spouse. Now, when you unpack that, just remember this. You don't work on your marriage. Your marriage works on you. Your marriage is what... You need to be the student of your marriage, not the other way around. You don't control your marriage. Your marriage is a system organically created by God before the fall of the human race. It was a reflection of the Trinitarian nature of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit God. It was about a communion. So if there's any lack in your life, your marriage is going to reveal it. If there's brokenness in your life, your marriage is going to reveal it. If there is a place for you to grow up and quit being so immature, your marriage is going to reveal it. And if you don't let it grow you up, heal you up, set you free, you probably will be a statistic you don't want to be. It's that serious about what we're talking about today. And so, why don't you talk a little bit about what we've covered so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the common theme that we've been hearing over the course of the summer is that the presence of Jesus is really kind of the key to having a healthy home and marriage. Uh, Brad and Elizabeth talked about raising teenagers and establishing a family culture of love, identity, and healthy discussion with the teenagers. Well, that sounds like the presence of God. Uh, Daniel and Jesse talked about the importance of wholeness in singlehood, marriage, and early parenting. And they showed a graphic, which I think, uh, I thought was great. It was a solar system graphic, and it showed how the kids are the moon traveling around the uh, 
um, earth, which is the representative of the parents, the marriage, and they're all going around the sun. Again, the presence of Jesus. Um, Chad and Katie gave us the marriage definite dozen to life-proof our marriage, and it, it included things like maintaining healthy boundaries, a culture of honor, and then, really important, praying for your spouse. Um, Craig and Annie taught us how to have benefit thinking and not liability thinking. And I love their, their uh, takeaway, what God has joined together is too good to separate. And the Harrises and the Haas last week discussed the ways to become incredibly, an incredibly dateable, winsome person through humility, teachability, hunger for God, and commitment to God's ways and community. Again, you hear a common theme? Let's keep the Lord in this because this is not easy, but it is very meaningful and fruitful. And the Lord is for it. He will help us. Okay, I'm, I'm looking around, and I see that this we, we've picked the right topic for the day. We have mostly adults, and I love our title. It's a title of an old 40s or 50s movie, but it's also taken straight out, right out of the Scripture. It's called, Today We're Talking About Being Friends and Lovers. And, and what we want to talk about are three things, developing friendship and intimacy, managing conflict, and building a life of shared meaning. So, when the scripture teaches of friendship and intimacy in marriage, it's in the form of poetry, not a list of do's and don'ts. And I think that's just like the Lord. He knows that love is not coerced, love is always inspired. It comes from the inside out, not the outside in. So we want to read some excerpts, uh, and we don't want you to follow along. In fact, if you want to, we want you to close your eyes and open your ears and your heart, because we're going to read you poetry. It's some of the most romantic poetry in the Scripture. It's called the Song of Solomon, and we're not just reading one chapter. We're reading a montage of Scriptures. And the interesting thing about when Solomon wrote, he wrote it as a, as a poem or a play. We're not sure. Scholars aren't sure. And it had roles, and one of the roles was the man, and one of the, the husband, and one of them was the role of the wife. So, so buckle up. Here we go. Kiss me full on the mouth, yes, for your love is better than wine. A lotus blossoming in a swamp of weeds. That's my dear friend among the girls in the village. As an apricot tree stands out in the forest, my lover stands above the young men in town. All I want is to sit in his shade, to taste and savor his delicious love. He took me home with him for a festive meal, but his eyes feasted on me. Get up, my dear friend, fair and beautiful lover. Come to me. Look around you. Winter is over. The winter rains are over. Gone. Spring flowers are in blossom all over. The whole world's a choir and singing. Singing warblers are filling the forest with sweet strains. Lilacs are exuberantly purple and perfumed. And cherry trees fragrant with blossoms. Oh, 
Get up, dear friend, my fair and beautiful lover. Come to me. Then you must protect me from the foxes, foxes on the prowl, foxes who would like nothing better than to get into our flowering garden. My lover is mine, and I am his. Nightly, he strolls in our garden, delighting in the flowers until dawn breathes its light and night slips away. Turn to me, dear, dear lover. Come like a gazelle. Leap like a wild stag on delectable mountains. You're next. Oh, yeah. I'm still here. Restless in bed and sleepless through the night, I longed for my lover. I wanted him desperately. His absence was painful, so I got up and went out and roved the city, hunting through the streets and down alleys. I wanted my lover in the worst way. I looked high and low and didn't find him. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Leave Lebanon behind and come. Leave your high mountain hideaway. Abandon your wilderness seclusion. You've captured my heart, dear friend. You looked at me and I fell in love. One look my way and I was hopelessly in love. I am my lover's. I'm all he wants. I'm the world to him. Come, dear lover, let's tramp through the countryside. Let's sleep at some wayside inn. Then rise early and listen to the bird song. Let's look for wildflowers in bloom, blackberry bushes blossoming white, fruit trees adorned with cascading flowers, and there I'll give myself to you, my love to your love. Okay, who's embarrassed? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, by the way, in the Bible. This is not a poem by Shakespeare. This is, this is a poem by a man who was the greatest king the world had ever known, the most glorious king, and the wisest man that ever lived. That's what he wrote. And it's in the Bible. And yes, it's in the Bible. And I know if there's any teenagers, you'll go read, try to read the whole thing today. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, do you really know the ingredients to know your spouse? Do you know the key ingredients to friendship and intimacy with your spouse? If you ask a lot of couples, they'd be kind of like Brenda and me. Well, I got some vague ideas, but it's like a great athlete that you say, how did you do that? And they go, I don't know, I just did it. Then that athlete becomes a coach and I don't know, I just did it, isn't good enough. Sometimes you go, wait a minute, how did I do that? Oh, I see what I was doing intuitively. Now I can coach other people. And so that's kind of what we want to do today. So the first key to all of this is I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Can I just tell you, I have, we have ministered to so many couples where one of the spouses doesn't feel like they were actually chosen by the other. There is an exclusivity about friends and lovers. There is no one else 
And this is one of the most important things. It's in our vows, but it's, it's actually often not lived out practically. And that is, there are no others. There's none to compare. You know what? Uh, compared to all those other girls, you're in a, they're in a swamp, but you are a towering tree above them. They're, they're, when you compare and contrast, you're going, yeah, baby, you're the one. You're it for me. I have eyes only for you. And so there is this sense of exclusivity. And um, that really is another way of saying, I now trust you. And it's not a trust about fidelity. That's kind of the given. It's a trust that says, I know you've got my back. I know that when I'm in a bad place, you're not going to make it a worse place. I know that when I fail, you're going to pull me up, not condemn me. I know that when I f- you fail me, I don't count that failure into an account. And so I'm here to protect you from the little foxes that come into our garden, which is our marriage. I have an attitude that you are worth protecting. So so that the, first point is belonging. Belonging. It's really yeah. a sense of belonging. I belong to you. You belong to me. This is the most important relationship that is going to be in my life apart from my relationship with the Lord. Nothing is going to come between us. And it takes priority over all friendships, over relationships with children, over, you know, every other part of your life. This is the top priority. And then knowing. The second thing that we want that, that really uh, creates an atmosphere of friends and lovers is knowing. You know, the Bible uses knowing as a euphemism for physical intimacy. And, but really, it's not just a euphemism because there is a knowing that is required there. Part of, you're never going to have a good uh, physical intimacy with someone if you don't begin to map their internal world. Knowing what, they, what really makes them fearful or anxious. What is a deep dream that they've had? What are some of the things that make them feel good about themselves? How do they see themselves as a mom or dad? Uh, what are they wanting to do as, as they age? How do they see themselves like five years from now? These are the things that you need to get to know about one another. Knowing is incredibly important. Now, one of the problems that we get with our busy lives is that, and the studies are showing that, especially in people that have two, two uh, jobs, uh, both of them are away from home, and, and even with, if there are a bunch of children there, <laughs> two or three kids, this can get, you can get to where all you're talking about is a never-ending list of do's and don'ts. So you, you spend 35 minutes a week talking about anything other than the do's and don'ts. Can I just say to you, that's not enough. Heart-to-heart talks are incredibly important to developing this lifelong friends and lovers. Um, so it's, 
know, you know, beginning to map your spouse's internal world and having that map in your heart so that you understand them. Yeah, we all have to become map makers. And it's not about knowing what favorite food she has or what color he likes best or even what his favorite sports team is. Those are all kind of superficiality. It's about knowing the deepest dreams and fears. It's knowing that when I grew up, my family didn't touch very much, and so I need to be, I need to grow in that area, and I need to be touched. I mean, something that My my mom and dad never, ever expressed admiration for each other or me. So, because they thought it would make me proud instead of encourage me. So maybe this and person your family is just effusive about it, and I feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable about it. And so what begins to happen is the two of you begin to go, "Oh, wow, that is why you never ever say a thank you to me." So, so part of what. We've got to do, so, so this, the, the final and third thing that we want to talk about on how to have intimacy, and, and by, the, by no means are these all, all, the, all there is, but this is, these are some really big kind of keystones of building intimacy and friendship. Friendship and intimacy. And that is protecting your deep connection. One of the things I always ask couples who are having major conflict is this. What is the goal of your marriage? And almost every couple that is in the church goes, well, to glorify God. You don't need to be married to do that. Hopefully, if you're single, you're Hopefully, your all of you that are single God. are glorifying God. So you don't need to be married to do that. Well, you know, it's to raise kids. You actually don't have to, be, you know, you can raise, go adopt some. You can, you can do that. Or not every married couple has children. Not everybody has kids. What if you can't have children? So what is the goal of your marriage? It's really simple. It's, it's not hyper-spiritual. It is to be deeply connected to another human being at a level that no one else in the world gets to share. That's it. So... Let me ask you this. What are you guarding? Are you guarding your right to watch the TV for an extra 30 minutes at night? Are you guarding the protection of your connection? Are you guarding your right to insist on the way the kids are disciplined? Are you guarding the connection? Are you guarding, you know, it's, there's so, the way the checkbook is handled? Or are you guarding your connection? These are really essential questions when you start hyperventilating over an issue remember to keep the main thing the main thing so some studies show that you should spend and this is going to be challenging 15 hours a week doing things that build that connection things like conversation physical touch Recreational, hanging out, having fun, playing disc golf, if for some reason any of you like that. (laughs) But you know, that's the point. Some of you actually do. And others go, I like real golf. And you go, ugh. And some of you like walking out in malls together. And some of you would just 
you know, some people need like deliverance to, after that, you know. Some people like to read a book together and read it to each other. I mean, whatever it is, do the things that, that build your connection. But, but part of the other, you know, here's some, just some ways that we build connection is a lot of times your spouse, and this, by the way, for all you single people, you go, well, this, none of this applies to me. This is about being friends. You, wanna, you go, well, I don't have any friends. Well, maybe you're doing none of these things. It's kind of like, get a clue. It's, you're not even close to being ready for marriage because you can't do the things that are essential to being married. I, I mean, it's really, really important to develop these skills. And a lot of us come from families of origin where nearly everything we're saying is completely alien to them. And that's called being a prisoner being brokenhearted, being a captive. That's what Jesus came to set free. He, that's what he was anointed to do. And hopefully we got more and more and more of those kind of people coming into our church who don't know how to live. They don't know their right hand from their left. And a lot of us in certain circumstances actually don't know our, our emotional right hand from our left. We're, you know, we're not, we're not robots, so dysfunction is kind of a mechanical term are, we're broken we have brokenness we have wounding we have we're in prison we need to be set free we've been captured and and we need to get out of those prisons so one of the ways we do this is respond positively to each other's bids now here's you know if you've been, ever been to an auction, I'll see that hand, that's, that's called a bid. I'll, I'll, I'll pay $15 for that. Sometimes your spouse is going to make a bid. Hey. I'm going for a walk. Would you like to go with me? Steve, are you listening? Okay, well... Here, here's an interesting statistic. They've studied young couples that have just gotten married. This is a, a, an Orthodox Jew and his wife for the last 40 years. Have, they, he, was a, he was a mathematician, got his master's in math, mathematics, and then got interested in psychology, and partly because he was such a dud at relationships. He, he dated 60 women in a few months' time just because he... He just like, I'm going to go on dates. Just I need to figure this out. And I am a, I am a total loser at relationship. And he started doing research at the University of S Seattle where he'd gotten, uh, he'd gotten a Ph.D. in psychology. And he realized that we actually have no idea on predicting uh, successful marriage. And he, he and his, his uh, associate researcher decided, well, let's, let's make some hypothesis and let's begin to study couples and let's see if, you know, human behavior is incredibly complex to, and, and non-predictive. And he knew that. And he kind of theorized that we probably aren't going to be able to predict anything. Well, what he found out, interestingly enough, is that success in marriage and failure in marriage is incredibly predictable. To the point where he and his partner... Um, along with his wife, were able to predict with 94% accuracy 
whether you would be divorced, a couple would be divorced in the next six years or not. With that kind of accuracy. You didn't say their names. Uh, John Gottman and John and Julie Gottman. Right. And so um, they talked about this characteristic of being able to respond. You go, hey, babe, I didn't, you know, I got to work. I wish I could walk with you. That's a positive response. That's a positive response. In other words, she made a bid. Here's what they found. In couples where that bid was ignored. Yeah, that's, that's called a marriage amateur. That's called a marriage amateur. The We've marriage, got terms. There the are, marriage expert are those people who respond to their spouse's bids for connection. Another thing you need to do here is if your spouse does something that makes you feel connected or that you appreciate, give positive feedback. Because how are they going to know? I mean, this is actually something a confession that I have. Uh, many times I think, wow, I really appreciate that Steve did some reading on this and brought this kind of rich experience of understanding of some of the things that we're talking about now. I'm just so glad he did that, and I'm thinking it, and I'm thinking it, and I never say it. <laughs> that I'm trying to fix. It's like, no, just say it. Because the minute you give positive feedback, that gives them the understanding, oh, my spouse really likes that. That builds connection. You know, honey, wow, I came home from camp, and you know what? The house was clean. I'm so happy that the, I didn't come home to a a house that was, you know, clothes all over the place. She was prophetic. She knew before then it wasn't. <laughs> no, he did that. And I, so I did tell him. Yes. But part of, part of uh, you know, we, we, we counsel couples that go, well, why should I tell her thanks for staying home with the kids today? Why should I do that? That's I mean, the, that's her job. That's I'm, her I'm job. going out and working. Why should I thank him for bringing home the bacon? That's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. Well, that's called ungratefulness. And a lack of gratitude is actually a sign of a marriage that will probably be divorced in 6 to 15 years. It's certainly a marriage amateur. It's a marriage amateur. So you go, well, you mean, are you telling me? Yeah, you know what? Thanks, honey, for driving all this way. You know, it's been a six-hour drive, and you haven't gotten, you, you, you know. Thanks, honey, for offering to drive. So I could take a nap. So belonging to your spouse, knowing your spouse, and protecting your connection are kind of the first things that you need to do to really build up that atmosphere of friendship and intimacy. So, and then the next section is we're going to talk about was managing conflict. Ooh. That's, that's really, I mean, most people, when, they come, when they're already in trouble, that's what they're coming to you about. We're having conflict. It's so big, we can't deal with it. Um, but let me, let me just start here. Constructive, some people think, well, you should never even have conflict. Let's just stay away from conflict. No, that's a, that's a warning sign, too. If somebody says, we don't have any conflict, then that's I'm also thinking, a fantasy. Eh, it's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, constructive disagreement. Constructive disagreement is necessary. It's the way you're going to grow to become one. Okay? Um, 
you're tur but turning toward one another during that is very important. Um, Psalm 142.2 says, I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. We're encouraged to complain. If you've got a complaint, you tell it to the Lord, right? If you've got a complaint, then you have to tell it to your spouse. But what we're going to talk about here is the way you do it is incredibly important. Uh, studies have shown the same couple, the Gottmans, um, who did their Seattle Love Lab, <laughs> found that the couples who have, who are marriage experts, during a conflict, their positive to negative, the, posi the, the number of positives they have to the negatives, positives being, you know, a kind word, gentle, gentleness, humor, uh, just saying something respectfully. The positive to negative ratio was five to one during conflict. Now the guess what the guess what the ratio was for the couples that end up divorced. I mean you go, oh well they never say anything good to each no, other. They, they Actually something. they it's half and half. They yeah. were they were one to one. They were saying as many positives as they were negatives. You go wouldn't that work and, out? And we see this all the time. Well, we, we, we respect each other. We say nice things to each other all the time. Yeah, but do you say five times as many as you should? And, and the, what we generally say to couples is this. Take the number of times you say a compliment. Do a gentle startup. Um, you know, we all know what the most, most guys say this. They know this. The worst words in the world are, honey, we need to talk. Now, frankly, that's not a bad way to say it. Start it. Honey, we need to talk. That's a bid for connection. Or if you say it, honey, we need to talk. That's actually not a positive, right? <laughs> Is it? So, and, and when you are angry and upset, well, we've got some really incredible marriage amateur kind of things that happen. And you've heard us talk about this, but we always think it's worth identifying so that you, you get these little foxes out of your marriage garden. If you allow these foxes into your marriage garden, let me just tell you what you're going to end up being, a statistic. It, you've got to remove these. And uh, one of the things that Dr. Gottman said he started observing after his longitudinal studies, and he was tracking these couples that from newlyweds to couples our age. And one of the things they'd started noticing were four things that determined divorce. Okay? How many, anybody interested in knowing that, or you want me to skip that? We can part? just go on. We can move okay, on. Okay, okay. All right, just wanted to make sure. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's really interesting that an um, Orthodox Jew would use Book of Revelation language. Well, what's the apocalypse? It's the end of the world. Well, the apocalypse of your marriage are these four things. There were four horsemen at the end of the age, and he said, okay, well, here's what the four uh, horsemen of divorce are. Number one, criticism. Number two, defensiveness. Number three, contempt. And number four, stonewalling. So let me go over real, let me just um, read a, a scripture that we're all familiar with. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. 
It's a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, You're familiar with the command to the ancients, Do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who so much is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Okay. How many of you have read those verses in King James Version or even NIV or ESV and didn't get quite as much out of it as you just then did? It's one of the things I love about Eugene Peterson. He just expands it to modern-day vernacular. But here's the deal, guys. If you're getting ready to... There's a scripture that says, you know, part of the reason you guys, you fellas in first... I think it's First Peter 3, 7. Yeah, Maybe I'm skipping. I'm we're accelerating. Getting, we're getting there. But... Here's what, what it says. The reason you guys aren't getting your prayers answered and they're hindered is you do not treat your wives as equals. Ooh. You go, Steve, I, I haven't seen that verse. That's, Where is that verse? It's, it's In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I'm going to just say it like this. Can, can all you women go like this and go, <laughs> you don't need to hear this, okay? We can, hear, we can hear it without piling on. Okay, yeah. That, can, anything can. you say can and will be used no. against you. And that, no. that's, that's, a, that's what, We're going to protect that's what uh, marriage amateurs do. Yes. But let me just talk to you guys. Here's the interesting thing. According to Gottman, one of the things they started noticing was that women tended to respond to the bids of their husbands at a significantly higher rate than husbands did to their, their wives. Another thing they noticed is that men tended to be more negative in their response to their wives' bids than the wives were to their husbands. And what they begin to notice is the, the, one, the men who stayed married had a much higher response rate to their wives than the men who kind of were like married to their iPhone. Now this study started before iPhones or even phones were invented. So men have always been able to stay distracted. In those days it used to be TVs. Or whatever they were reading. or So one of the things that I'm trying to do, and I, I have ADHD in some degree. Uh, I, I don't, it's never been analyzed, but, you know, I, I, so when I get focused on something, the rest of the world disappears. And that's a, that's a true phenomenon because human brains tell us that women have a whole lot more connections between the spheres than men do. It's just a known fact. And uh, that's, that's a physiological fact. So multitasking is much more possible for women. But 
One of the things that helps break that is when you actually close the lid of your computer and go, hey, babe, what was it you were saying? Uh, Would you like to go for a walk? You know, I've got to get this done, but thanks for asking. Instead of, would you please leave me alone? I've got work to do. How many of you, uh, of course, I know none of you have ever done that. I'm confessing. (laughs) Guys, here's what I want to say. We have to overcome a contrariness that is really essential. Do you know, how many of you know this statistic? The filing for divorce, and I'm going to say in the church, is 65% women. And it's not because of adultery. It's because I can't get through to him. He won't turn toward me. Remember that phrase? Turn to me, my love, my friend. You have to begin to respond. This is one of the most important things I'm seeing over and over again in couples. It doesn't mean you have to agree with her. It doesn't mean you have to agree with him. It just means that you're looking at each other and remembering He is the most important person in your life. He is head and shoulders above all. She's above all the girls in the village. This is the woman I chose to spend my life with. I want to grow old with her. All right, so you talked about the four things that really are going to be very destructive. What do we do when we... When, when those things happen? Well, we have to clean up our mess, don't we? Yes, because they will. They create a... Every marriage, if you say, well, I, you know, I, I'm never critical, or I, I never withdraw, well, then I am very proud of you. But <laughs> I do, okay? So I become, from time to time, I become critical. And I do withdraw. And I say things like, you never... You never listen to me. You're always on your computer. I just, what is wrong with you? Okay, he's just going to think, oh, yeah, Brenda, you have a good point. I think I really need to listen to you a little bit more. Instead, maybe I should try this, okay? You know, honey, I, um, I really miss our conversations. Mm. I love it when we talk and walk together. You know, we did that last week. It was so wonderful. You think we could do more of that? How could we do more of that? Because I'm missing that. That's a bid for connection. Things that that are going to destroy it are the, let me just tell you, something Steve and I try to do, here's a never. We try to never say never. We try to never say always. We try to never insult that person's identity or personality. What is wrong with you, you jerk? Please, if there are any kids here, these are things your parents have told you you should not say, and they're right, because it is very bad. It's contempt. It's what Jesus said. If you call your brother and sister stupid, you're in danger of hellfire. So if you've done it, clean up the mess. And And so admit it. A lot of 
a lot of marriages, I mean, this is, look, there's so many parts of this. There's, a, there's an anatomy of a marriage, but one of the things that, Looking too late. I know, y'all, y'all get anything out of this? Yeah. All right. We're almost. Let, we're we're we're, we're, we're going to land this plane. All right. Let, let me just let me let me talk about this. You, so you need to build a life. This uh, the third big point that we're not going to get thoroughly through, but it's really a good point, and it is build a life of shared meaning. And and part of that is the idea, and and this is really really important. Uh, if if you don't remember anything, remember this. God did not put a, uh, two people that were exactly alike together, did he? He said male and female. He, he put them together. So they're different. But a lot of us want to be married to ourselves. I mean, you say, well, no, of course not. I don't want to. Well, you're acting like it. Because you don't get her or you don't get him. Because they don't think like you do. So, I know this is not true because that is east, but we're going to do a little demonstration here. I'm going to be facing east, which is, excuse me, yes, that's east. I'm going to be facing east, which is the beach. And I'm looking at the mountains. And Brenda is facing west, which is the mountains of North Carolina, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you about North Carolina, Steve. North Carolina is a mountainous state. I know it. I see it. It's a mountainous state. You're crazy. There's an incredible ocean. I mean, it's one waves and beach and sand and really You're, you're just houses. not seeing things right, Steve. North Carolina is mountainous. Oh, there's, I don't know what no, you're talking about. No, there's and marshes and there's those, those hilly things. No, no, no. And grass. <laughs> no, you know? Dunes, no. That's what they, no. How many of you, that's exactly what's going on in a lot of your arguments. Maybe. We need to turn toward each other and oh, go. Oh, yeah, you're right. I think North Carolina. Hey, look over my shoulder there. You know, it's got mountains and ocean. What a wonderful place to live. Hey, let's move to Raleigh. <laughs> it's right in the middle. <laughs> okay. Now. Shared meaning. Shared meaning. Many of us have never learned how to do that. You have to have a very high regard for your spouse's perspective if you are ever going to have a successful marriage. If you think you're superior and you're smarter, and and here's the fact of the matter is, there are some things you are deficient in and your spouse probably is not. And you can either take advantage of that by adopting an air of superiority or you can take an attitude that, oh, that's why God put us together. I want to just tell you a story that just so devastated me in a good way. One day I was meeting with one of my subcontractors on a job. He was a, he was a specialist in fixing sheetrock problems. He was amazing. He had an engineering degree that he almost finished, but he met this woman who he fell in love with. She'd been in a terrible accident, and she had brain damage, and she was probably functioning at an IQ of around 65. They had the most remarkable marriage I've ever seen. 
His respect for her was unbelievable. And he would say to me while I'd be talking to her, he said, she doesn't understand that, but she she can fix it better than I can. And she, he would say things like that. And when she would climb up on a ladder, he would, he would stand down below. I'm here to catch you, baby, if you fall. And what I was just witnessing, and he said, oh, we spend, we spend all the time together. And he said, you know, she has some disabilities that I have to spend with her. But it's such a joy. Do you know that, I think, is a lot like Jesus and us? Do you know how disadvantaged we are to his brilliance and when was the last time he ever put you down contempt will murder a marriage harsh words hatefulness so what we're going to do we're not going to finish all of our by the book we are really been praying about writing a book about this stuff but one of the things I really want to invite you to do just everybody stand up if you're a married couple here today we're not going to ask you to come forward we're going to ask you to turn toward each other if you are single you can just stand there and watch (laughs) but if you are a married couple I want you to grab each other's hands. I want you to look in each other's eyes. Um, oh, by the way, one of those little things about friendship, this, this, the opening verse of, of Solomon is, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Now, you go, why did, the, why did that start out that way? Scientific fact, researchers have found it out. If you will kiss in the morning for seven seconds every day and in the evening when you greet each other, it's amazing what happens to your friendship and your intimacy. So we're going to practice. We're going to practice a positive. You know, a lot of times at the end of these meetings, it's all heavy. But all you husbands and wives, we're going to practice. Can somebody get a watch? Can you count the seconds? We're going to do a seven. Okay, there it is. All right. It's 24, 25. Let's wait till 30. At 30, we're going to start kissing for seven seconds. Oh. Oh. Now, the next thing we want you to do and this is the kind of the serious part there may be some of those areas where you need to go before you worship you know that your husband or your wife has a grudge they've been hurt, they've been wounded by some things you've said and maybe you don't even know that maybe you're unaware that's why a lot of this that 65% of the men that get divorce papers filed against them I'm the one talking to them and they're going, the freight train just hit me. I, I don't even know where this came from. It's called being oblivious. And what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to 
just say to each other, if there is any mess I've created, created between you and me, I am committed to cleaning it up. Yes. I want all you men, start. Just look at your wife. Hold her hand just like you, before you kiss them. And I want you to say, if there is any mess I've created in the way I've treated you, I want to clean it up. Now you wives, I want you to do the same thing. Uh, I'm serious. Grab her hand. I know you're uncomfortable. Public displays of affection. We're not supposed to do that in church. Well, we need to. Yeah, you are. I want you to say, if I've created a mess. Turn, guys, I, I'm, I'm asking you, all of you, turn toward each other. And some of you find it incredibly uncomfortable. You are a candidate. You don't want to be one of those kind of candidates. You want to be the one that says, I turn so quick. I, am, I look at my lover. I look at my friend. I turn to me. I turn to you. Lord, we bless every marriage here. We speak deep, lasting connection over every marriage where there's pain and damage, Lord, I ask for healing. I ask that you would give people the courage to clean up their mess and to get help if they need it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.